0: N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash W-T-F. Lock the gate! <laughs> All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. How does it sound? I've got the new mixer. I got my old mixer crapped out. I've had that mixer forever, 10 years on that thing. I don't know what to do with it. I'm thinking about creating some sort of art piece. I'm thinking about mounting the old mixer on a board with the uh, original master locks from the old garage and maybe a picture. Yeah, I'm going to create my own little small curated exhibit Representing the the origin and history of this of this show, and that would be that mixer and uh, the locks on the garage and a picture. That would be the whole exhibit. Uh, I can't. I you know it'd be easy to tour with. Um, I, I'll write a nice information card for the exhibit, and well maybe I'll, maybe I can put some photos. There was a bunch of photos done of the old garage before I uh, I got out of there. So we tour with it. And I'll write one note card. I'm, I'm not gonna. I know what it feels like to go to a museum. Have to do a lot of reading uh, before the exhibit. The information that sets it up historically. I'll keep it real brief. One paragraph. Uh, there, there was a garage. A lot of people came to it. We talked to him in there. It was filled with clutter. It got dusty sometimes. The president was here. Uh, this was the lock on the door. The two locks. This was the original mixer that everybody who came into that garage, spoke through, uh, enjoy the show. So Jane Fonda is here today, and that was daunting for me. It wasn't daunting. I mean, it's always daunting when I talk to somebody who's had um, a tremendous and full career. I mean, Jane Fonda was a movie star by the time I was born, really. And you kind of forget, maybe you don't, maybe you're not like me, or maybe you don't put it into context, just... What a fucking great actress she is. I mean, I went back and watched movies that I'd never seen before from the 60s and just, like, astounding. I don't know when the last time you watched They Shoot Horses, Don't They? I don't know when the last time you watched that was. But what a weird, insanely good movie. I actually talked to the producer of this movie of They Shoot Horses, Don't They? On Thursday, Erwin Winkler is gonna be here. Another guy that's had this 50-year career and uh, it's it just a little, it's a little intense. So, you know, I've got an, an hour or so. Jane had other things to do, but I went back. I watched Coming Home. I watched uh, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? But I watched Clute, which I'd never seen before. And Maybe I saw it when I was a kid. And I'm an Alan J. Pakula fan. He did, I believe he did The Parallax View and he did uh, All the President's Men early on. But Clute... The way it's shot, the way it builds Donald Sutherland, Jane Fonda, just her acting is fucking astounding. And it's so beautiful. The 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 print and the time it was made, it was like must have been 19. I don't know. I could probably find out exactly 1971. So it's one of those great early 70s movies. But I could not believe, you know, what you know, what I was witnessing in terms of, you know, what Jane Fonda was putting out there. What it, it was a real honor to talk to her. I'll I'll talk talk to you about her a, a little more in a minute, but I'll get you up to speed. Honestly, I ran out of cashews, and I it, I I might have eaten all of them. I mean, on the planet, I'm not sure there are any cashews left. And if there are, don't tell me. Maybe it's better off I don't know that there are more cashews because enough already. I think I'm getting I'm getting doughy from the nuts. Yeah, doughy from the nuts is what I said, and I think that that's a t-shirt no doughy from the nuts what does that mean it it, it's very specific it can only mean one thing when you think about it but as a phrase it travels i think there's a poetry to it but if you go to wtfpod.com you can get on the mailing list i do put some effort into uh creating a a newsletter for you people every week so if you want to get that you can you can also see my upcoming tour dates, which are still happening. Everything is still moving forward. I have not shifted out of uh, my tour. It's it's all happening. I, I believe tickets are, still, are, are selling good. I'm going to be in Madison, Wisconsin, May 23rd through, geez, the 25th. I'm going to be in Vermont. Uh, that's sold out June 6th through 8th. I'm going to be in St. Louis, most likely, June uh, 13th through 15th. I don't got a lot of people in St. Louis, and I know that. Raleigh, North Carolina, August 1st through August 3rd, Revolution in Oh, Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon on August 9th is sold out. We added a second show on uh, August 10th. Still tickets for that. Majestic Theater in Dallas, August 22nd, Paramount Theater in Austin, August 23rd, uh, Wortham Center in Houston, August 24th, Vogue Theater in Vancouver, September 6th, Moore Theater in Seattle, September 7th, The Vic in Chicago, September 20th, Masonic Temple in Detroit, September 21, Pantages, Minneapolis, September 22nd, where I taped my last special, The Miriam Theater in Philly, October 10th, The Kennedy Center in D.C., uh, October 11th, The Schubert in Boston, Massachusetts, October 12th for two shows and a special taping, The James K. Polk in Nashville on the October 18th, that's the October 18th, yeah, I did say that. The Tabernacle in Atlanta on October 19th, the Masonic in October 26th uh, in San Francisco, and then I will retire. There is a Toronto date coming, I can't announce it yet, the tickets aren't on sale because it's in collusion is that it is that the is that the hot word i'm colluding with toronto with a festival in order to do the show so i don't have the date on that yet a little update about my state of mind a little better i i i'm stubborn folks Uh, i'm a stubborn old man and i've had enough of it in a lot of ways uh a lot of it is really just that simple it's just stubbornness like, why don't I meditate? I don't know, because it's silly. Why, you know, people are now getting on me about the definition of mindful. Why am I not really activating mindfulness? I don't know, because it's like, just, it's sort of like trendy. Why why am I not, uh, yeah, I definitely exercise. I eat pretty well. Cashews, man, so many fucking cashews. Now I got a bag of fucking almonds down there. I'm buying dates because I'm making my own almond milk. I put the dates in and then I eat 90 of them. I'll buy a box of dates, you know, from Trader Joe's, and I'm—I don't know who I think I'm fooling. I'm like, I'm not really eating these. Why are they gone in three days? Why am I doughy from nuts and dates? Yeah, why? But uh, but yeah, I'm gonna—I I started therapy the other day. We're gonna do uh, some. EMDR therapy again. That's a thing where you know it it, it it kind of like scrambles your brain a little bit, so you can get right in there to the amyglia am, 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 or am, how do you how do you say it, the amygdala, the the diglado, the, the diglado, uh, in the brain, and it gets right in between uh, your trauma and your uh, behavior, and it kind of scrambles it up a little bit and kind of pulls the link out, something like that. But you got to hold sensors and they buzz and you're like, come on, man. What was I born yesterday? Huh? Where was this 10 years ago? What is this with the buzzers? What am I dumb? Is this a what am I? Is this a Scientology stress test? Where are we at with this? Come on. Are these cans? These are just cans hooked to wires. But it uh, apparently has been quite successful with uh, post-traumatic stress and whatnot. So I'm, I'm doing a little of that. We'll see how it goes. Some part of me just doesn't believe I deserve to be doing well. I don't deserve to succeed. Some part of me, where can I, can we, can we shift the, uh, can we blur the link between that belief and the reality or just like, can we just excise that particular piece of uh, malignant perception, self-perception? Can we mindfully rip that out of my fucking brain? People can we do that? Not complaining. The world is ending uh, you know, we're doing all right. Some of us, fucking anti-Semites, man. Seriously, stay strong, Jews. Jesus Christ, this president has really opened a portal to hell, and we're living in it. But you know, I'm I'm gonna try to be mindful. I'm gonna try to meditate a little bit. I'm gonna do the EMDR. I'm gonna reconfigure my brain and do the best I can. That's the thing. When you get overwhelmed, what can you do? I I can eat a lot of cashews, apparently. Comedy's been all right. I was at the uh, comedy store all weekend, uh, tightening up some things. You know, I go on the road. I do the hour and a half, hour 45s. I go to the comedy store. I do the 15 minutes, you know, and I try to tighten up some things. It, it's weird, man. It's, it's weird what I do. Sometimes someone will give me some advice, maybe kind of reconfigure a joke a little bit neil brennan neil brennan is always reliable for (laughs) the the tight joke advice comes up to me he's like why don't you try it like this and i'm like yeah my first here's the thing about me in general is that my first reaction and i know you might not know this about me but generally if somebody suggests something my innate immediate reaction is like i don't know no no why no but but i deeper i'm sort of like really you think that would make it better but i still like How? why does it take me two fucking steps to just go like okay uh i i will embrace that idea and see if it works for me as opposed to like wrong who are you what stop it but yeah it was it's it's kind of fun like now that i'm, I'm sort of see my hour of material evolving and coming together to kind of like you know, tighten it up and, and think through some things, try some new stuff, take some new risks. My brain's been kind of fucked up all week, and I read this new, I read a book, man. Devastating book that's not out yet. Maybe I should talk to her. Eve Ensler, the, uh, she wrote the Vagina Monologues and several other books, has written a book called The Apology, which will be out I think it'll be out next month. I got some sort of uh, press advance copy. And wow, just fucking devastating, deep, horrible, uh, you know, painful, cathartic investigation of the most of the worst type of toxic masculinity on a personal level, her father. And I don't want to go into it because maybe maybe I'll, I'll, I'll talk to her. But uh, what a, what a, that, that's a brave book. That's a courageous undertaking, how she structured this book as a posthumous, almost stream of consciousness, apology from her father that abused her in every way. And he's writing from limbo. Um, And it's like the, the, the sort of investigation and process of true evil with applied empathy Without apologizing or without letting anybody off the hook, was just devastating and haunting, and it was a, it was one of the most powerful things I've read. So maybe we'll I'll talk to her if I can if I can do that. It's a little it's, it's it's sometimes it's hard, man. Jane Fonda was not hard. Jane Fonda is one of the great actors actresses I say actor in a general sense of of all time, and and oddly, she's about my mom's age. And she's built like my mom. So there was this, I had this, when she came to the house, I had this immediate kind of, she, she actually walks like my mother and they kind of look a little similar. And it was just, I had this very strange, innate connection just around her physicality and the way she moved was like my mom. But uh, but I was, I was, you know, I was really honored to talk to her. I mean, you'll see, you'll see. Oh, man. I hope that there's no more cashews. I really do. I really do. Now, okay, so let's let's enter this Jane Fonda thing. As I said, it was a little a little daunting because of the arc of her career, because of the time we had together. But uh, it it was a real honor talking to her. Uh, All five seasons of Jane's series with Lily Tomlin, Grace and Frankie are now streaming on Netflix. They've been renewed for a sixth season. So catch up on those early seasons now if you want. Also go look at some of her early films. I mean just go watch yeah a lot of like Coming Home, uh Clute, uh China Syndrome was a big one on Golden Pond with her father. Like she just Now, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. So I'm very excited you're here. I, I guess you're not going to wear headphones. You got TV to do, right?
1: Uh, or no? Bailey Center is
0: that a? That's a live thing. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a panel. Yeah. For uh, for Grace and Frankie, right? Yeah. So that's so like. Have you stayed in touch with Lily Lily Tomlin like for since forever? Have you guys always been friends?
1: We became friends in 1979. Oh yeah. When I was developing nine to five. Right.
0: And you stayed friends.
1: And we've stayed friends. Yeah. We support each other's issues and.
0: Yeah, and do you like do you socialize? I always wonder that because I was, you you know, I watched the documentary about you. Mm -hmm. It's like it's hard to you you know to sort of wrap my brain around uh, you know Jane Fonda as a uh, cultural momentum figure. You know, (laughs) (laughs) me too. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Because
0: you know you want to have a conversation, but there's so much.
1: No, Lily and I, uh, we socialize mindlessly. Right. Like I finally, in my in my dotage, now yeah. I have a house for just me. Yeah. And there is somebody who takes care of the house and cooks. Yeah, so I can have dinner parties. Right. So for example, I think the last time Lily and her partner Jane came over, it was a dinner for Judy Chicago. Oh yeah, who they also had met years and years ago. So, sure. you know, that's a fun kind of gathering. Yeah, you know, or um, the, the, the theater critic, um, Hilton Als from, yeah. from The New Yorker, he came. Jane and Lily came over to dinner. So I I have them come over. They never invite me to their house. (laughs) The last time I was in their house was my... See, my dog was about five months old. She's now 14. So that's a long time ago. And then... You know, I spent a lot of time. In fact, the last two years in Michigan working on one fair wage. Yeah. For restaurant workers, yeah. tip workers don't get a minimum wage. They 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 earn a lot less, and then they're expected to live on tips. Right. So We're we're with an organization called Restaurant Opportunity Centers. Um, we're, we've been working all over the country to change that and have one fair wage. One reason to do that is because. In the seven states that have one fair wage, sexual harassment is cut in half. But and so Lily gives me my street cred because she comes from Detroit, yeah. and she was a waitress there. Yeah. And so yeah. I dragged her to Michigan on on you know for weeks at a time.
0: Yeah, and that's and, and that, so when you say you do that, like what what exactly when you when you go to do that work? What is, do we do? Well, is it the same as is it organizing? Is it? It's organizing. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm on the board of yeah. Restaurant Opportunity Centers, and we, so when Lily comes, um, we travel around the state, yeah, and we raise money in each place, yeah, Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, Lansing, wherever, yeah. and and in people's homes, sure. You and know, you just go. You just show up. Yeah, we just go. We show up. Jane Bond come. is in my house, and Lily yeah. Tomlin. Yeah, you know, Grace and Frank. Yeah. A lot of support for Grace sure. and Frankie. I tell you what, it's yeah. a lot easier to do this when you have a hit series. Yeah, yeah. Then we do media. Yeah. We, we do radio. We sure. do Sinclair is really yeah. wherever. We do television to talk about. It was a ballot initiative. You we, go on Sinclair? Yeah. 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 Because they're they, I think aren't they uh, kind of the bad guys? Well. Here's the th- the local people, you right, know, the right. versions of you sure. in, in Kalamazoo sure. or Grand Rapids yeah. who are, uh, uh, you know, journalists for, television journalists for yeah. Sinclair, they're not mm-hmm. rabid right. ideo- ideologues. ideologues. Yeah. Um, but sometimes they get, you know, demands from on high to say certain things. Yeah. But, because um, I asked them about it, yeah. you know, but our our experience with it has been okay. No, if we can go
0: back to like uh, the the, you, I, I was just kind of looking at the overview of, of of what you achieved, and then I watched a documentary, and then for some reason, you know, I did, I realized I'd never seen they shoot horses, don't they? Oh,
1: that's a good one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And it seems that, like culturally, you know, politically, culturally, and and within the movie business, that your life is sort of is is signposts of how all of it's evolved. Of it the
1: zeitgeist, yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, that that you know, I mean, you were in Capalou, and five years later, the entire industry changed. Yeah. Right. I mean, then all of a sudden, you're shooting movies with, uh, you know, uh, with Ashby and 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 with Pollock and stuff and and then like on top of that you know in the in the documentary you talk about how you realized your own authenticity so late in life yeah now when you look back on it because now as an activist like you're doing this thing with the restaurant workers but you'll apply your your energy to any you know cause that you believe in however is necessary mm-hmm. so when you think about what compelled you initially was it you, when you? Because you're very self aware, and you've obviously it's done the a Vietnam War, right? But like you know, uh, but do you find when you when you think about the pushback on the generation your father came from, that it was also emotional? Yeah, that your father represented something of an old guard, and that you know that tension was created uh, with your activism.
1: One of the sad things about yeah. that period, and it wasn't just the Vietnam War, it was the whole counterculture thing, was what happened in individu- within individual families yeah. all across the country. Sure, yeah, right. Everywhere. Yeah. And uh, the Vietnam War only exacerbated that, you know. And I, I understood that my, da- my dad was very opposed to the war. Yeah. Um, but his way of expressing it was to campaign for Lyndon Johnson. Yeah, right. And— you know guys that he would campaign the guys they were always guys and 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 white guys yeah. and then um of course the war never ended <laughs> that yeah. way but it was a it was a, a generational thing coupled with the problem just talking about him in relation to the Vietnam war the war that he fought and the wars that he understood were yeah. wars where you knew who was an enemy combatant? Yeah, they were in uniforms, sure. and there were battle fronts. Yeah,
0: lines drawn. Lines
1: drawn. Yeah. Suddenly, there's a war where the woman bringing you laundry could very well have a hand grenade. Right. And you know where you you know. A war where the basic people are against you. Yeah. That's a whole different thing. And it was very hard for him to wrap his head around that. Yeah. So it caused friction between us, but I never really got mad at him. He, You know, I remember in 70, I went to, I think it was 70, I went to visit Angela Davis. She was in prison here in California. And when I got back, he said to me, if, if I find out that you're a communist, I'm going to turn you in. Yeah. And that you know that I've never been ideological. I wasn't a communist, but I loved Angela Davis. But he was very confused. You know, he he just and he worried about me. He lived yes. through the the McCarthy era.
0: Yeah, right. And
1: so, and and so he was worried that that I was going to get hurt.
0: So he had a fundamental belief, just by nature and being in the way he was brought up in the system itself.
1: Yeah, he was a moderate Democrat. Yeah. yeah. Felt very passionately about things I mean he you know he would go out he you know he campaigned for a year for Stevenson I think
0: what really related to me and what moved me was the the emotional um, uh, result of being brought up by narcissistic parents and parents with mental you know problems Mm -hmm. because I have it and and like what I I do yeah yeah. Uh and what I identified with was that that strange kind of missing chunk of self that you have to somehow put together
1: mm-hmm.
0: over time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and You have I, to
1: become your own parent.
0: Yeah, and the parent you put in place initially is never that great. <laughs> like, like I read this thing, <laughs> you, you know, like the reaction, the thing that blew my mind, I read this thing by Robert Firestone, a, a psychologist. He said that if, if your parents, if you're not getting what you need from your parents, you, at, when you're young, you automatically assume it's your fault. Yeah. Right, so the parent you put in place to replace them is the one that's going you're terrible. You're a piece of shit. And mm-hmm. and that's what drives you. Yeah. Now, did you
1: find that for yourself? Yeah.
0: Yeah? You, did you I
1: thought that I was a worthless human being. And it was very interesting how I dealt with it. Yeah. I was ashamed of myself. Yeah. I wasn't proud of the life that I was living. So I thought if I pretend to be generous yeah maybe eventually i will become generous if i pretend to have a spine yeah maybe i will become brave i mean and you do you become what you do in a way i fake it till you make it
0: yeah for sure and you just knew that instinctively
1: i just I thought, I don't know what else to do. I, I just, I don't like myself, so I'm going to pretend to be a better person. And I started to become a better person. And right. that began then to conflict with the life that I was living. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, you know, all along the way you have choices. Well, do I continue living the life I'm living? Or do I try to proceed with trying to get better and be better?
0: Right. And when and I
1: chose the latter.
0: Yeah, but it took a while, right?
1: Yeah. 60 years? 70 years? No, it does. It takes a long time. I mean, you're always essentially the same person. Right. That's why writing my memoir was such an important thing. And really, yeah. the documentary was just a filmed version of my, right. of my of my memoir. You know, when you write a memoir, if you really dig down yeah. and really take the time, you realize... You know, it's kind of what T.S. Eliot said in the quartet poem. You, you, I'm paraphrasing. You spend your life exploring, and at the end of all the exploration, you're back where you start. You circle back where you started and know it for the first time. Right. And what I realized at the age of 63, 4, 5, and writing yeah. my memoir is that I had started out decent yeah. and brave.
0: Yeah, because you were on your own in a way
1: yeah and 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 then for girls you know the problems start at puberty where you just want to fit in and be skinny and all those kind of things but basically i was working my way around to come back to where i started only with more knowledge and stuff and acceptance
0: of your past self
1: yeah you have to forgive yeah you have to forgive everybody including yourself (laughs) yeah yeah that's hard Isn't it? It's essential, but yeah, it is hard. It is hard, and you can't do it until you really examine. You know what? I'm 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 one of those typical liberals. Uh I always, you know, the perpetrator. But look what was done to him.
0: Right, right, right. You know,
1: so I always tend to want to forgive.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I think it's interesting too that, that acting as if because when you when you have parents that aren't, you know, fundamentally nurturing that there's a lack of like the, the inability to receive or give love in you know, second nature. You know, you do have to try until it sticks, yeah, right?
1: Yeah. The you know, the 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 one thing that I realize now at the age of eighty one and a half, you yeah. start to count halves when you get older, like you do when you're young. <laughs> yeah. Um is uh the one thing that i could never f- totally fix yeah. is my ability to be in a relationship yeah. with the, the opposite sex you know i that's the one area i mean i've i've kind of healed in in, in a lot of different ways but i'm just not good in relationships
0: where where does it uh, like the, like i find that i hit a wall where where i can't get over it do you, like what is it that were that because I mean you've been like I guess in the memoir and and the documentary you did find yourself living in relationship to a lot of different men
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know and in that a
1: lot of very very strong men yeah.
0: yeah and who do you think that started with after your father was it strausberg
1: no it was vadim
0: oh yeah well the marriages but like yeah. I mean it seemed like Lee strausberg was a pretty important force in your life uh. Not really. No. No. Did he teach you how to act, though?
1: Not really. (laughs) (laughs) No. It just came. I was too fucked up (laughs) to learn anything at that time. I mean, I remember what he did for me was. Yeah. He said, "You have talent."
0: Yeah, and and that was. And then it
1: all happened way too quick. Yeah. Because I never really learned how to work. Right. Um, I've only started learning lately.
0: How to work? How to do the work. R- what were you doing before? Trying. Yeah.
1: And sometimes it worked really well. When you accept to become another person, yeah. there are levels that you can stop at. Right. I didn't always know how to go really deep. I didn't know the questions to ask, uh-huh. the tools he did not, Lee didn't teach me yeah. what I needed to know there. Yeah. You know, in a way, I wish that I'd studied in England and...
0: Classical ...in training. a different
1: kind of training. Right. In a way. But, you know, for the movies where I really did do well... Yeah. You know, coming home, because oh. I had spent three years talking to the people whose lives had been impacted by the war the wives of soldiers who who went away yeah. one person and came back quite different right you know there was the wife that said you know I talk to him and I feel like my voice goes down into an empty barrel and just echoes oh. there's nobody there you yeah. know i i knew that story yeah and so that's what allowed me to play that character yeah. the way i did clute clute was like they shoot horses, don't they? I yeah. just went I just said, fuck it, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just gonna go and go as deep as I can. Yeah. And 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 take the things that I know to be true about myself and apply them to this character and it worked. Yeah. I really kind of entered those people.
0: So that was a, a darkness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and shoot they shoot horses yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. But um you know that's just not always the case. Yeah. But now, you know, <laughs> yeah. now I'm I'm I have a coach yeah who's basically teaching me how to do the work. Right. And so what that I'm 80? So, you know, who cares? But also you've... It's never too late.
0: You've taken those risks, though. You've you've gone that deep with yourself, so you know you have that ability to do that. Right. Right? So it's accessible. It's not a threat anymore. I imagine early on it must have been frightening on some level. No? No. No?
1: It would have been frightening for my dad. That's why he hated so much that I went to acting (laughs) class with Lee. Oh, yeah? Just like, you know... Acting class, church, therapy, all those things. Yeah. Hated them, hated them. Oh, really? Them. Yeah, because it required you to look into yourself. Mm. And for, it's not my dad's fault, it was the way he was raised, and it was a certain generation of right. men, especially yep. from the Midwest. It was weakness. Oh. It showed weakness. Oh, right, right. Crutches. Yeah, They're yeah. All crutches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it, I never was that way it, it's just that I never had there were just certain roles that allowed me to do that and beckoned me yeah in ways that you know it's
0: it was it's it's so amazing to watch you in anything because you know it, it's like in in they shoot horses you're I and mean, but there was a lot of you know actors that were doing great work at that time. But the difference between something like some of the more Hollywood movies of an earlier time that that really didn't offer you a window or a portal to go that deep. Now all of a sudden the 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 sort of art of it breaks open and like it was it's so visceral and so like immediately moving.
1: Well, you know, I was basically a very unhappy person <laughs> 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 who happened to have done Barbarella right before. <laughs> that was the film I did prior to They Shoot yeah. Horses, don't they? And so people sort of thought of me as that person. But, you know, They Shoot Horses, I was coming more back to myself. Right, you right. Know, I was kind of a dark person. I've actually overcome that. Yeah, it seems, but, good. But, it seems but, like it. But, um, you know, it, it wasn't difficult for me to do it.
0: And like okay, so we're like getting back to the the these men and being in relation to men and what you learned and where it stops. I mean, ugh, it- I just
1: I was trained from the get go to give it up. Yeah, for men, you know, just to give over, and I just can't hold my own. I I just can't. Yeah, I I, you know. I, now I know that, and so I'm not going to be in a relationship again because I don't want to give myself over.
0: Right, because the, yeah, like, yeah, the, the boundaries. I lose myself. Right, right, yeah. My I,
1: boundaries are so. I'm a, I'm a colander Yeah. when I'm in a relationship, with, you know, a full sexual relationship yeah. with a man. Yeah. I,
0: you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's weird when that, when that happens because, like, you, you know, it can go on for years, right? And then all of a sudden yeah. you look at yourself and you're like, when you get a year away from it, you're like, what the fuck was that?
1: Well, you how know, did, somebody asked me the other day, you know, how do you know it's not working? And I said, well, when the time starts to come, it's usually about four years from the end, when I start to fantasize their death. <laughs> that's a, wait, well,
0: and that's the truth. Uh-huh. Well, it's, best, it's better that you're fantasizing theirs. And, and after not your... three
1: marriages, I real, there's a pattern here.
0: Uh-huh. And you're not fantasizing your own, which is better.
1: No, no. I mean, yeah. I still live. Yeah. And then I get to do what I want to
0: do. <laughs> that and that's the that is the core of the of your feminism, really. You're not fantasizing that you're the victim. Right. They're the ones that got to go. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you like? I imagine looking back on it, like with Vadim and uh, with Hayden and with Turner, that. You know, there were definitely lessons learned that made you a stronger person, right? And, yeah, and and not just by tolerating them, but by what they had to offer. Oh,
1: listen, I do not regret those three marriages. Yeah, they were, they were utterly fascinating men, and I learned a huge amount from all of them. Um, How's your spe- French still? I'm fluent. Still, yeah. And I'm, and interestingly enough, I'm always I. The wife after me, Vadim's wife yeah. after me, we're like this, we are so close. Oh really? Oh yeah, we just spent a week together in Lyon at a film festival. We're very very close. Tom's wife after me, Barbara. Yeah. We're so close. Interesting. Um I see her all the time really? and we love each other. Yeah.
0: How did those relationships evolve? They
1: they all had good taste in women <laughs> and 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 Yeah. I don't know. I mean they're interesting women yeah. and, and uh
0: and it's just like did they reach out to you? How does a relationship no, like that happen? Uh, like can we can we go over our experience or
1: just it's too personal. I don't okay. want to I don't want to talk about it, but Barbara and I just found a kinship.
0: Yeah.
1: Um we have a lot of things in common and uh-huh. then there's the son. Yeah. There's they Tom and Barbara had a son. Yeah. And Tom was always worried that this son wouldn't know exactly where he fit in. So I feel a real responsibility to keep a family unit together, yeah, including Barbara and Liam. right. And uh, that's nice. Liam is the age of my grandson. Yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. He's my 45-year-old son's brother, yeah. but he's the age of my grandson. I mean, it's interesting, but these are these are the families of today, right? Sure, sure. And you can... I just sort of know instinctively that when, when the end comes, and it's not that far off, no. you know, it could be 20 years, but maybe not, right. but that when the end comes, I'm going to want to know that I kept us all together.
0: And when did that like when did that impulse start?
1: When I was when I s when I saw my father die.
0: Uh. Yeah.
1: And I knew that he was full of regrets. Uh, that he wasn't able to do the forgiving, yeah. to do the the facing up. Yeah. And, and the apologizing mm-hmm. and the listening and the things that need, that need to be said before it's too late when you can no longer talk. Yeah. And it's always the things you don't do that right. you regret at the end. I just know that. And, yeah. um, you know, so I'm fortunate enough to not be afraid of dying. I'm really afraid of dying with regrets. So I've... You know, the big epiphany for me when I hit 60 and knew that it was probably my last act yeah. and the importance of last act that I had to – I've got to spend this remaining time figuring out what my regrets would be. Yeah, You can't be 81 and say, oh, my God, I better start getting my life together. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. you, you, you know, I can't. I can't make my life lo- longer but I can make it wider and deeper and I have to start doing that now. I said at 60. At 60. Yes. And I deliberately did. That's why I wrote my memoir.
0: Yeah. And what when in 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 terms of looking back on those struggles, you know, there you know with, there was the codependency right and the pressure of show business and you know when did the eating disorder start? Start? Yeah.
1: Oh my god. 14 oh, in yeah. boarding school, girl uh, all girls boarding school. Yeah. Um, my best friend had been doing it and told me about it, and I swear I thought only that the two of us were the only people besides the Romans. Right. Because when we studied Roman history, yeah. we discovered that that the Romans used to do that binge and purge. Was it, it was it for for body image yes. reasons? It was totally. I didn't realize, of course, that that a lot of people with body images yeah. don't resort to that. Right. That it's that it's. I think that it. You see, we're we're like chalices, all of us. Right. And that chalice in the center of us, at our chi, you know, our solar plexus, needs to be full. Yeah. um, Ideally, full of spirit. Yeah. Of at oneness with others and with everything. Right, right. With love and mm. compassion and mm-hmm. forgiveness and a and a sense of authenticity. That's yeah. what we're supposed to be filled with. If we're empty, yeah. we're gonna fill it with, depending on who we are, booze, drugs, yeah. sex, yeah. workaholism, yeah. food, whatever. And mine was empty. And I was filling it with food. And I only was able to stop when I began to fill it with authenticity. Yeah. And uh, so that was a long time.
0: Yeah? What age did you really start to kick it?
1: I went cold turkey, and I wasn't authentic yet, but I was dying. And so I just went cold turkey at about 45.
0: It took a long time. Mm -hmm.
1: And it's impossible to have a a true relationship if you are an addict of any kind. You can't.
0: Until ever or
1: no, you can't. As long as you are an active, oh, active addict, act, right? You can't have a real relationship, not yeah. a real one, right? Not an authentic relationship, right? And um,
0: why do you think that is?
1: Because you can never show up totally because you mm. have this addiction, yeah. That always becomes the most important thing, yeah. And uh, essentially, you have to hide the addiction, so you're also lying, and being inauthentic, right? And. Uh, but I stopped before I started the workout. Well,
0: that, that was the other thing that I didn't realize because I didn't know the nuances of your life that, you know, having you know, been through, you know, protesting the Vietnam War and, and, and the other you know, activism you were doing, which took, you know, insane courage and you took a lot of hits for it. And it seems like the, the next or, or even the third generation of the people that were originally tearing you down are now still doing it. You're still an example of some kind to that ilk. And uh, and that I didn't realize that when you were married to Hayden that the workout video was actually to, to fund, fund activism.
1: It was to fund the campaign for economic democracy. When the war ended, we yeah. began to focus on the economy. Yeah. Which this is i 'm talking in the in the late seventies because yeah. i actually it didn 't become famous until the eighties but I actually started the workout around seventy eight uh-huh. and and um that was when it was becoming increasingly apparent the 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 corporate takeover of everything yeah sure <laughs> um and and so that that's what we wanted to take on you know, the notion of economic democracy. And it was a statewide effort. Yeah. And California is a big state and there was a recession. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do because I was the main fundraiser. And I read that, remember Lyndon LaRouche? Sure. The guy that paid people to hold terrible signs up at the airport. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the LaRouches, They're not around it really anymore. There's something worse here now.
1: <laughs> he funded the whole operation from a business, his computer business. Yeah. And I thought, I got to start a business. Yeah,
0: right, yeah. And
1: it turned out to be the workout.
0: But you, you know what I thought was amazing about that moment is that, you know, moving from, you know, the other type of acti- activism you were doing and then trying to fund this, is that the direct personal engagement of I think primarily women with the empowerment that was available through just that workout video, which is e- easily to, it's easy to make fun of or trivialize on some level, but it was, you felt it immediately that there were women that needed that
1: connection yeah. to take hold of their lives. Yeah, it's very interesting. Because Tom did not like the workout, even though it funded the organization, he did not like it. He felt it was a vanity project. And um was that the beginning of the end of that? It was it was the beginning of the end of our marriage. In That's a what way. I mean. yeah, um, j- just the things i was doing were things that didn't it didn't feel comfortable for him uh-huh. but before i actually opened the workout i was yeah. teaching it in places like when i was in in st george utah making electric horsemen. Yeah. and every night after we worked I, people would come and, and i would teach the workout huh. and they would come from miles away yeah. and they were not all women but mostly women but yeah. also members of the crew and right. and they would come up to me after a few weeks and say I don't have to take sleeping pills anymore. Uh-huh. I don't have to take insulin anymore. Uh-huh. Stuff like that. And then I would start getting letters once it became, you know, I put out the videos yeah. and the records and pe- you know, one woman said to me, "I was able to stand up to my boss for the first time today." Right. And that and then I began to realize, "Oh, <laughs> I knew that this is much more than just being thin." It's, uh, But you didn't know it initially. Well, I knew how it made me feel. Sure. But it never. I wasn't. A, I, I didn't think this is going to empower women when right. I started. Right. I was just. I was. I. The guy you remember Delancey Street? Well Delancey Street still exists. John Mayer, who started DeLancey Street, yeah. was a close friend of mine in Tom's. Yeah. And we told him, I said, I'm trying to raise to start a business to run the campaign for economic democracy. And he said, Never go into a business you don't understand. Uh-huh. Well, that seriously narrowed my options. <laughs> because exercise was really the only business i understood
0: <laughs> right
1: and, and it, i had been necessary. exercising forever and so i that's what i did
0: uh-huh and and look what happened it's amazing because i mean i didn't realize it i mean you really made exercise videos for decades yeah and they kept- And they made
1: 23 it, of them, yeah.
0: And and you you know, sort of, uh, like, without knowing, it started that business you know, for everybody. The vi- It the,
1: started the video business. That's why I'm the only non-engineer, non-scientist in the Video Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and I thought, like, the other thing that I thought was interesting is that when you were making these movies with these guys, you know, in the 70s and the late 60s, which were, you know, socially relevant movies, meant to have a message or meant to, you know, push the envelope either artistically or otherwise, philosophically. Some politically, that um, that they were they were kind of some of them were kind of out there, and that what I, I thought was interesting in terms of your evolution as a producer was that you were able to come back and create narrative film that was appealing to you, you know regular people that didn't require uh, you know some sort of like you know uh, deeper understanding of art that still had a powerful social message, and in how how. Like, conscious were you of that transition? Well,
1: I was very conscious that if I'm going to make a movie about um, soldiers that have fought in Vietnam, there has to be—it has to be— Something that someone would want to see even if they didn't agree with the war was wrong.
0: Okay, right. So,
1: a sexy, sexy love story. Yeah. And at the time, that love scene was probably the sexiest love scene that had ever been shot. Right. Um, If we're going to make a movie about...
0: This is coming home.
1: That's coming home. Yeah. If we're going to make a movie about nuclear energy, it's got to be a thriller. Right. If I'm going to make a movie, I, you know, my one of my close friends was organizing women office workers, Karen yeah. Nussbaum. And, you know, I decided I wanted to make a movie about it, that it would have to be a comedy. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. You know. So- you, you always have to cloak it in a style that's going to be appealing to people, even if they don't care about the issues.
0: Were you frustrated with 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 some of the movies that were made, you know, in the 70s that were more oblique? Such as if Arthur Penn does, you know, little big man as a response to Vietnam on some level as a metaphor that, you know, the move away from, you know, metaphors that are confusing to like this is what's happening seem to be like a decisive thing. Does that make sense? or am It I does make vague? sense,
1: but I frankly had never thought about it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know.
0: Because there was, like, the, like you know, the, the people that you work with, uh, P, is it Pakula, is that how you say mm-hmm. his name, and uh, Ashby, and even, like, people like, you know, Joseph Losey, who I didn't realize that you worked with, he, he was a, a big activist and, like, you know, paid the price for it. But, you know, these guys were, you know, big intellectual artistic dudes. And I, be, I think Ashby made very accessible movies, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for totally. sure. Totally, yeah, and, 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 but it seemed like they were artists that yeah. were that like for a lot of reasons were, you know, sometimes you know, consumed with the art of film to to some degree, without uh, you know wanting to get everybody on board.
1: Right, and you know there was a certain friction. Yeah, there was a lot of friction between me and Lozi, Yeah, because he he was a lefty, but he was not a feminist, and it's a feminist movie. Uh-huh. Af- uh huh. And Delphine Seyrig and myself really objected to his rewrite of the script and had a lot of f- friction, fighting, fighting with him. Yeah, it was not a good experience. And um, and with
0: Ashby, how much of input
1: did you have in that? in incoming well home. i had a lot i mean it was the the concept was my idea okay yeah because of what i'd heard ron kovic say at rally yeah. i may have lost my mind i may have lost my body but i've gained my mind
0: does it surprise you like now you know the the direction cuz i don't know people personally and i build a relationship with you people you know from your roles does it surprise you like that John Voigt has gone so far the other direction uh-huh it does yeah because yeah, he wasn't.
1: Not at all. No, he was one of Tom's and my biggest supporters, and you know he would rally his Hollywood friends to come and see Tom's slideshows. Uh uh-huh. He was my closest friend in Hollywood.
0: Oh, and it, it, and I don't
1: know why this has happened. Mm, have you talked to him? Um, about oh maybe in two thousand and six. Uh huh was the last time that I really, he called me on the phone and started talking about the war in totally terms that I just couldn't relate to, and he wouldn't stop, and I hung up. Oh, wow. It makes me so sad.
0: It's very strange, because the phenomenon of that now, uh, like realizing, you know, somebody who's done enough self-examination and fought the fights that you have, it has to be surprising as it is to me, just how malleable people's minds are you know, when they need closure or when they're afraid or when they're angry. And like, it seems that a lot of what's happening today with a good chunk of the population is irreparable in terms of their point of view. on It's not
1: they? irreparable and it's not a good chunk.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's, it's, there is a chunk and yeah. it's not a big chunk. Right. That is irreparable, I think. Right. But there is another influx piece of the puzzle Mm -hmm. that's a piece that interests me a lot which is the middle America the scared the feeling forgotten and unseen working class that used to have unions right kind of helping to define their perspective on things and don't anymore Who voted for Obama and then Trump? I think we cannot leave that fuzzy gray area out. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we can win, we. I don't know if democracy can win without them. Yeah. But even if we can, morally, I don't think. That we can forget about those people. Sure. Because the truth is that the direction that they've moved in is not in their interest. So we have to do everything we can to help them understand that their interests don't lie there. Their interests also don't lie with the neoliberals. Right and that's why we have to be sure that the person who runs our country next is yeah. not a neoliberal mm-hmm. not just not a republican trump type person but not a neoliberal someone who really cares about these people and cares about the value of work not just silicon valley work right right but but labor
0: yeah sure labor yeah
1: we can create jobs for everybody sure but yeah. you have to be committed to it, and 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 I get into a lot of arguments with my liberal friends, progressive yeah. friends, because they say, no, we have to spend all our time with the low-hanging fruit, the natural base of the Democratic Party—women and people of color. Yeah. we can't be spending time and money going after people who voted for Trump. Right. And I don't agree with that. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I it's heartbreaking the kind of lines that are drawn now, and I the people that I've talked to. Who lived through Nixon? I mean, there there's two kinds that say like, well, it you know it was worse, but it, it, it no, then but it doesn't no, seem
1: like no, it. it's not worse. And I'll tell you what gets left out of this until very very like last week. Yeah, here's why it's well. There's never been an existential threat to our democracy like right. there is right now because of the nature of Donald Trump as a human being yeah. and who he has surrounded himself yeah. with. But the bigger existential threat that would exist, you know, even without Donald Trump is climate. Sure. this We've never had a ticking time bomb. I know. Overarching every single thing that we do. Yeah. That's never existed before. It didn't exist during the Nixon time. Yeah. And that's a reality. It is. And, you know, so people can poo-poo the Green, the green New Deal, but, but something like that has to happen.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the core of what you're talking about in, in, in being a, f- a full stomach person and being somebody who, <laughs> who has love and empathy and all that is that, you know, that the way that hopelessness has, has somehow turned to nihilism you know, in the hearts of people that have given up, uh, y- you know, any sort of future in a way, and they just want to burn it all down. Yeah. Now, you know, there are there are there are, there are, there are, there are 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 Christian fanatics who are ready for the big burn for the
1: yeah end days. Yeah. Right. And
0: and and, and, and yeah, but
1: no, I I once had a boyfriend that was so unhappy and messed up and wounded that he liked war, right? Because that he didn't feel alone. I mean that that is a reality, but. You know, I have spent time, I have canvassed in San Diego, I have canvassed in 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 the in the Central Valley. Yeah. In Bakersfield and talked to people who are were Trump supporters. Sure. And I have friends that have done that and they can they can be made to think differently. Yeah, if you talk to them as people. Like one on one. Nobody has been talking to them. But the the politicians that talk to them and the human beings and the canvassers who talk to them without sunglasses on, looking them in the eye and saying, what matters to you and why? Right. Okay, what are we going to do about it? And you don't ever criticize Trump and you don't ever criticize Fox News. You simply tell them something they don't know. Yeah no that's
0: yeah and 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 they can hear it and it goes in and
1: then you stay in touch and you explain this is really hard now and the only way we're going to do it is strength and numbers and guess what your neighbor gets it yeah and i've signed up 15 people right in this neighborhood yeah and we're going to stay in touch with you
0: yeah and you do that and we do yeah so how do you like it's how, do, how have you for for all this time been able to separate, you know to kind of like you know, choose how you, you you know how do you balance the you know the acting and you know the activism and the family I mean you just Well my
1: kids my family's grown up. Yeah, right. And my grandkids are growing up. Yeah, oh, yeah. And uh
0: I had your brother on I'm the show. I'm not
1: very good at balancing. I yeah. was not a very good parent because yeah. I didn't know how to balance well enough although my kids are just fine. Yeah. Um but you know now there's just me, <laughs> yeah, and and um, and I work to earn money to do the the stuff because you know I'm I'm going to be dead soon. But uh, I just I just. I've learned a lot. I've yeah. learned so much from Tom Hayden yeah. about the importance of talking to people sure. and work on the ground. Yeah. So I look for the organizations that have the best track record yeah. of doing on-the-ground work, front-door conversations.
0: Yeah. yeah. And
1: and in terms of
0: like, you know, the art, like, because you,
1: you still love to act, you know? I'm having a blast with Grace and Frankie. Because
0: <laughs> that seems to be like also the interesting thing is that uh, uh, aside from you know the, you know major activism that got you into you know the the crosshairs of Nixon in a very personal way and you know in dealing with that pressure that when you show up on screen I mean I can tell and, unless I'm stupid you you it's, you love doing that I do and you know, like on 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 some other level as a person. Not along, you know, along with Tom Hayden, but you work with, you know, Pollock twice, you work with Otto Preminger, you work with Ashby, you work with all these men primarily. Fred Zinneman. Fred Zinneman. Even like George Cooker, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was like, he he was an old studio guy, right? So mm-hmm. you actually saw those guys try to adapt to the new thing. Mm-hmm. Now, like when you look back on all that experience and your nature of boundary, did you find most of those to be learning experiences with these directors? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah? Yeah. No, I feel really lucky that I had all those experiences. They were great directors. Pollock seemed like an amazing guy to me. He was. He was an amazing guy. Zinneman, what a brilliant director.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And, you know, I mean, that's what's so fun about acting. Yeah. Every single, di- these each individual of these, they're all guys. Yeah. Um. But if they were women, it would be the same thing. They all call upon different muscles in your psyche as an actor. Yeah. So, you know, you're, it's just a challenge yeah. to, to kind of <laughs> yeah. create that marriage between you and the guy. But, you see, because it's a limited – there's a limited time frame, yeah. then the whole dynamic is very different than it is – in a marriage <laughs> sure. or an affair. Right, right. You're,
0: this is going to be over in six months. Yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, by, by necessity. Or well, nowadays,
0: like, a month. A month. Right. Yeah. They shoot out quick, a month. right? Yeah. And and how is your relationship with Robert Redford?
1: I admire him very, very much. I think what he has done with Sundance is just, is just extraordinary. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. And uh, like, what, what about people like um, Donald Sutherland?
1: Oh God, I haven't seen him. Oh really? I haven't. I don't. I mean, I'd love to work with him again. I haven't seen him in years. Yeah. In years.
0: It's it's so weird. For some reason, like with your generation of actors, I I just assumed everyone sort of hung out together. (laughs) No. (laughs) You don't. Yeah, it's a business. No, Lily
1: and I hang out together. Yeah. And um, my co-stars from Book Club, Candy Bergen, Diane Keaton and Mary Steenburgen and I.
0: I talk to Mary. I love her.
1: I love that woman. Oh my God, she's just magic. Yeah, I
0: just love her deeply. Very full stomach, in terms of the love (sighs) and the spirituality. Yes,
1: she is the real deal. Yeah, I had no idea. I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to make that movie and get to know her. In 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 in
0: in terms of like you know Hollywood, and in terms of uh, this dynamic and and feminism and patriarchy, and, and having been in the business as long as you've been how how what is your feelings about uh, you know obviously the me, the me too movement is necessary but you know where where do you fit your find yourself in in that discussion
1: in the me too times up discussion yeah. well um, m- m- my activism in that regard yeah. goes toward the farm workers the domestic workers and the restaurant workers uh-huh. and i've been to washington to lobby with them on things like um, doing – and in Sacramento, doing yeah. away with statute of limitations, mm-hmm. um, doing away with forced arbitration. Not doing away with arbitration, but make it a choice. Yeah. Um, but then there's the financial stuff, doing, you know, overtime yeah. and, and equal pay and things like that. Because when – you know, the, the fact that restaurant workers in seven states, including California, get – One fair wage. Whatever other workers are getting minimum wage, that's what they get. Plus tips. They keep their tips. And in those seven states, sexual harassment is cut in half, which shows that there's a relationship between what a woman earns and how a man treats her. Yeah. And so, you know, the people that are the worst treated are the farm workers, domestic workers, and restaurant workers. Sure. Sure. The women, and yeah. so that's where I put my time.
0: Yeah. Well, what about show business? I mean, you've been in it long enough. You've been with around enough of these type of uh, of powerful men. You, well, you know, I mean,
1: other people are doing that. Yeah. And and I never had any experiences, probably because my father was Henry Fonda, right? Or maybe I don't know. I wasn't <laughs> sexy enough or something. But I never had. I don't know if you. I never go had. There. I never had that. Yeah. Experience. I had your
0: brother over here. Do you talk to him? Um We email a lot. Yeah. He was. He's like. He's an interesting guy,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and you guys. Do you do you find when you think about yourself and about what you both grew up with that you know how you both you know handled it? Uh, it, it it's interesting that he, you know when I talk to him, like he he spends a lot of time trying to wrap his brain around his trauma, and uh, and and you know and it's an active fight for him, you know, even at this age. Um do you do you, it, it, do you find it in, interesting the the way you both handled it in the sense that you handled it very differently do you do you help each other at all do you lean on each other at all
1: Not as much as we should. Mm. Yeah. Um we have handled it differently. Yeah. Um See I th- I think I've always felt that the child that is the same gender as the parent. Yeah. Has a harder time. Mm-hmm. I think it. I think it. My father was harder on my brother, yeah, than he was on me. And and I, I think Peter suffered a lot. Yeah, he suffered a lot. And I'm just not sure that he's gotten the kind of help that I have.
0: Right, because you. I, it seems like that your pursuit of social justice and your pursuit of authenticity, you know, was you know of primary importance. You know, to to sort of resolve. You know, your stuff.
1: Right, and I'm not a pothead, and I I don't do drugs. Yeah,
0: yeah, don't go for that relief.
1: I go, I use pot to go to sleep. Yeah, does it work? And it turns out Peter does too, it does work. Yeah. And it's a whole lot better for you than Valium or Ambien or that other stuff.
0: Yeah. I found it very touching in the doc that, you you know, the two things, you you know, you going back to visit Ted Turner and... uh, and it, it, We're very close. Yeah, it was. It's a very sweet thing.
1: I I stayed close to my three husbands. Yeah. I was with Tom when he died. Mm. I saw Vadim in the hospital yeah. before he died.
0: Yeah, that's a, you know, that's amazing.
1: Well, you have to, I think, there's about two years where if you're smart, you write all the hate, <laughs> you write the letters. Yeah, and but you don't send them. Right. So you get it out, and starting at about four or five years, you begin to realize, I was equally at fault, mm-hmm. or almost as equally, sure, and um, or I made a mistake, and the guy's really sick. I, that wasn't the case with me, but yeah, um, and and then you think there were reasons that I loved him, mm-hmm. and so I have to stick with those. And then if you've had children with them, I was always afraid that if I didn't invite the ex-husbands to spend Christmas with me, yeah. that my kids would choose to go with him and not me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Vadim yeah. would come to Christmas with me and Tom.. Yeah. And Tom would come to events with Ted. Yeah. And uh, you know, and Vadim met Ted, uh-huh. and I just brought them all along. They're so they're, they're really kind of so different. In terms and of so th- alike. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, I thought they were so different. <laughs> yeah. None of these guys are like my dad at all. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, see, here's the thing. You yeah.
0: See.
1: They're all addicts. Yeah. So, of course, they're perfect for me.
0: Yeah, right. You know,
1: if you're an addict, you don't want to, you know, I'm sure that the perfect man for me has come along. Yeah. And looked me in the eye and said, come on, show up, Fonda. yeah, yeah. yeah. And I ran away scared. Yeah, that's, that's. So I picked instead three absolutely riveting, fascinating, brilliant men. Yeah. None of whom were able to say, come on, Fonda, show up.
0: Right. Well, because they were like, <laughs> how were they addicts? They were workaholics or. You know, drinking. Were, yeah. Drugs. Uh huh.
1: Drinking in most cases, yeah. Yeah.
0: And and you know it seemed like you know it's very clear like you know how Hayden had an influence on you in terms of you know once you, you know, the things you learned to to move your own agenda forward. What was it that you really gleaned from from Ted as a as a person? Oh
1: my God. Ted is a genius. He really he really he is yeah very wounded genius, but a, a, a genius. His you know I'm I'm. Micro, yeah, yeah, and he's macro, yeah, yeah, and for me to experience that and learn from him the macro realities. Right. Was just invaluable. Also, extremely practical. You know, wh- he was once the greatest sailor in the world. He won the America's Cup, and this was before computers. This yeah. is when you did it with your own brain and brawn. Yeah. And to be a great sailor, you have to be the kind of person who forgets nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't be. 50 miles out at sea and think, oh, shit, I forgot the, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So he was very meticulous. He paid a lot of attention to detail, and he was always on time. Mm. And I learned the value. I'm kind of that way anyway, but I really learned the value of that. Sure. He brought me so much. One of the things that he brought me, because he had been so... Abused as a child Mm. by his father. I mean, just terrible. Yeah. Um, At the age when the boy is most vulnerable at five and stuff, he needed me. Yeah. He needed me and he wasn't afraid (laughs) to let me know. And I was the one who was grounded. Yeah. I could bring him stability. That was new for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah and that felt that felt
1: and it gave me tremendous confidence and it it sort of fleshed out that part of me yeah. that was responsible for bringing stability
0: and being able and, to nurture a bit
1: yeah i think you know he learned even though i, I was not a good parent but yeah. he learned i had a lot of step parents yeah. and he, so i knew how to be a step parent mm-hmm. and i think he watched me with his children and mm. i think he learned to be a parent
0: Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and
1: he's a good parent.
0: And the other thing that I thought was amazing, you, you know, was you know when you went to 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 visit your mother's grave, you know, after you know, it took you a long time, huh, to 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 be able to do that, and uh, w- were you able to to forgive yourself and forgive her?
1: Oh, I I forgave her when I was writing my memoirs. Yeah. I found out things about her childhood. Yeah. Um, that allowed me. It was like, oh, my God. Yeah. I always knew that something terrible had happened to her because she was not normal. Yeah. Um, But I just didn't know what it was. And when I found out, I, I was able to totally forgive her. Yeah. And... I became the mother. I just wanted to, ho- you know, she was dead. She killed herself when she was 42. I wanted to just hold her in my arms and yeah. rock her and cradle her. Yeah. And, and I was able to forgive everything. And, um, but I wanted to go to her grave with Peter, my brother. Yeah. And it just didn't work out. Yeah. So, for the benefit of the documentary, yeah. I went on my own. Has he been? No. Hmm. But we'll probably go together.
0: Oh, that's nice. And what he, now? You talk about spirituality, and we can kind of move towards the end here. Your father was an atheist.
1: Well, his parents were Christian Science, and uh, I think that that embedded itself somewhere in his DNA. Yeah. But he called himself an agnostic, right? And uh, criticized me whenever I would go to church.
0: Oh, yeah. So he was really kind of <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and now you you seem to be a very spiritually driven person. I am. I am. And in what form is it?
1: I study the Bible. Yeah. I study the life of Christ. I read the Gnostic Gospels. Uh-huh. I, um, I have actually enrolled in the interdenominational seminary in Atlanta. Yeah, I was the only white person there. It's where, it's where black ministers are trained. Yeah, and um, I believe in historical Christ. Yeah, and historical Buddha. Yeah, and historical Allah. Uh-huh. and I think these were real people uh-huh. who were tuned in yeah I think there were women as well. I think Mary was his favorite disciple and if you read the Gnostic Gospels yeah. that's proven true. Mm-hmm. so I think there were some women that were tuned in too and when I say tuned in I meant I mean they understood that we're made of the molecules of stars uh-huh. that we are part of everything yeah. that there is something greater than us yeah and that we must be humble before that right and that we must with every ounce of our being try to be aspire to goodness and greatness that we have to try to make our lives for me it's something that would have made jesus proud you know because of my culture Jesus is the person that I identify with and relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, studied, I have studied Buddhism as well, yeah. and I meditate, but Jesus is my guy, and um, I often think, what would Jesus do? Sure. And But there's a whole lot of that's in there that I don't, you know, I think the Bible is, is a metaphor, Sure. a very beautiful metaphor. Yeah. Um,
0: and it's okay not to have boundaries with Jesus.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just find it I just find it utterly fascinating. Yeah. I mean, if only I could go back to that time. I would love to experience that. Yeah, that you know, when you know, Jesus had women perform in the Eucharist, w- women more than anybody supported Jesus. He loved women. He supported women. He was a feminist. Charismatic fella. He had charisma like all those guys did. Yeah. And the women just got forgot along the way. But there were women like that too, sure. I think. And, and it has to do with... And, you know, that's why it, this all kind of came together for me around the same time when I stopped... Being a food addict, and when I got filled up yeah. in my solar plexus, yeah. was this understanding of being part of something greater than myself. Yeah, I didn't need to binge yeah. anymore. Yeah, and it just it changed me. Yeah. It did, and. Uh, And that's when I suddenly, you know, I've known so many alcoholics. Jason Robards, for example. I'll never forget. We made a movie called Comes a Horseman Together. And he was sober by then. And he told me about hitting bottom. Mm -hmm. And he told me about a higher power. Yeah. And I I remember thinking, what a lot of BS. Right. Higher power. Come on. I was talking like my father. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. It's like, (laughs) yeah. Suddenly I realized, oh, my God. Huh. That's what that means. My solar plexus have been filled with spirit.
0: Yeah. That chakra, the middle chakra. Yeah. Hmm. I got it. Oh, wow. Light
1: white, white is And I know why it's so hard for so many people, especially guys, because to receive that, you have to humble yourself profoundly. Yeah. It's very hard for a lot of people to do that.
0: Sure, they want control. I mean, that's what, you know, eating disorder is all about and addiction is Alcoholism. all about. Alcoholism, sure. yeah.
1: And um, so, you know, that's, I don't talk about my feelings about Jesus yeah. and about all of this very much. Cause right. it's, it was very hard when I lived in Georgia because if I don't, if I don't hew to the, every word is, you know, tr- tr- true, true right. and all of that, yeah. you'd be cast out. Uh-huh. You know, people would get very, very upset. Yeah. Um,
0: but you have a personal relationship uh, and a personal yeah. understanding, and that's what's important. Yeah. And you're doing great work for all of the things you do. And, uh, you know, showing up in uh, North Dakota was amazing. See,
1: and, when you have, yeah. when you're full yeah. with yeah. that, yes, you can go forth in the world yeah. and nothing can hurt you. Mm. Nothing can hurt you.
0: Right. That's, that's beautiful.
1: Thank it is. You. It I is. It really I feel is. very, very blessed,
0: and I and I and I feel very honored that you talked to me today.
1: I feel honored that you asked,
0: and uh, I'm, I'm thrilled with the the success of Grace and Frankie. And uh, if if you want to tell Lily to come over, I'm I'm more than happy to have her. <laughs> Great. <Yeah. laughs> and I'm uh, about
1: to go see her.
0: <laughs> okay. Well. Um, well. Really. Thank you so much, Jane. It's a pleasure. Wow what a treat really I really love talking to her. I did that was Jane Fonda and all five seasons of Jane's series with Lily Tomlin Grace and Frankie are now streaming on Netflix you know they got the uh, the uh, they've been renewed for an, another season but you can catch up on the early ones now. now I'm going to mindfully play some guitar at a lower volume less distorted but still with the bounce with the Echo Plex pedal, I'm using the Gold Top. For those of you who ask questions, the uh, Les Paul Deluxe through the Echo Plex through the 1957 Fender Deluxe amp that's been completely cleaned up. That that was just information for guitar nerds.